You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. I hope your time at your tables was fruitful and helpful uh, as you think about your own evangelistic concerns. Um, let's, let's hear about some of your conversation. What were some of the concerns that came up and, and how did you address them? Any concerns different than the ones we talked about? Yeah. Mm. Okay, so concerned that people might judge you based on your past or, yeah. Um, what might the gospel say to you in that moment? <laughs> well, you know it's going to get turned back around on you, Bring the tears. It's family. Um, That Jesus has changed my life and that um, none of this would have happened without Jesus. And so why wouldn't I want to share that? Mm. Because it is true. That's not me being a hypocrite. That is the Amen. And that... Amen. And that voice that tells you that your past disqualifies you, that's not the voice of Jesus. Who, 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 who condemns? Jesus? No, Satan condemns. That's the voice of Satan. Because to steal, kill, and destroy. Oh, that the voice of Christ would be louder in those moments for us, right? When we think that it's, it's not our righteousness, it's not our performance, it's not our spirituality, it's Jesus that qualifies us to share about Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and it's understandable. You know, we, 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 we cling to shame from the past sometimes and we just, it's another opportunity for us for to be re-evangelized ourselves, right? And then to let that fresh sense of, of the sufficiency of Jesus motivate us to tell how much he means to us. Thank you for opening up and sharing that. It's an encouragement to us. Thank you. Everyone's like, I'm not sharing now. <laughs> That's great. Yes, yeah, so, so the, the uh, concern is that I'm not going to get the whole gospel out, so maybe I, maybe I shouldn't share anything. Francis Schaeffer said that people come to Jesus on a fragment of the truth. 
You think, you think about it. You know, the, the, the gospel, I mean, you can't tell the whole gospel in one sitting. It's got 66 books. I mean, how are you going to tell all that? You know? I mean, the, the, we can't get the full gospel out. The gospel's cosmic and it's personal. I mean, it's world, world renewing and individually transforming. The pressure's off. You can't get the whole gospel out. Where'd, you, where'd we get that from? We got it from pressure evangelism. You've got to get through a certain script. You've got to say these, you know, certain propositions and verbs and, you know. Um, yeah, let's, let's, it's good to talk about these concerns because a lot of our concerns, um, aren't, aren't really, are, are often more pressure <laughs> and, uh, and not pressure that we need to carry. So it's great that you guys are able to work through that and, and, uh, make some headway. you guys uh, find any wisdom to help with that concern as you talk through it? Um, what you said about it's not our job to prepare their heart, it's not our job to prepare their ears to hear it, it's our job to say it, um, and so that is a really big thing. So don't be in the argument with them? Is that what you're saying? I mean, Yeah, so the, the concern being that you're not going to be able to answer the objections that someone's raising if they're an atheist or, uh, you know, they, they have opposing beliefs. Yeah, it's. Um, I would say Christianity is is logical and super logical. So it's not it's not anti reason. It's reasonable, but it's it goes beyond reason. So you could you could actually explain the gospel. It makes sense. If I'm guilty, someone needs to pay for my guilt. You know, if I if you knock that iPhone off the table, you know, either you're paying for it or I'm paying for it. Like that. That's a logical idea. And so Jesus says, you can pay for your sins or I'll pay for your sins. Someone's got to pay for them. I mean, that's a logical idea that's in the gospel. But if I explain that to you, that doesn't make you a Christian, right? The gospel is super logical. It does require faith, someone said. It's faith in a person, not just in a set of ideas. Um, and so that, that does liberate us some as we think about how they might respond to us in the moment. That, what, were you going to say something? Sit on that. Okay. Yeah. Jonathan, we still know that argument that she's talking about. Mm-hmm. There's no need to get into that. Their mind is made up. You can just stop and have peace in that 
instead of carrying it on, what you do is refile it on. Then you pray for them. The power of spirit help them. Don't get into it because they're looking to suck you into a world that, yeah. that, that you don't need to be in. Mm-hmm. Be the light in the dark mm-hmm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. There's no out from that one. They don't want to know it at that point in time. There, there are times like that. I think it's a very case by case. You know, um, there, are, there are hostile, aggressive people that don't really want to engage in meaningful conversation. And then there are people who have genuine objections, and they need to meet Christians who have genuinely thought through those objections. So I think the, the wisdom here is, yes, there are time, there's time to shake the dust off of your feet if it's just acrimonious, judgmental, and angry. Um, and Facebook's probably not the best place for that conversation. Uh, but there's also a time, you know, we, we, we see Paul frequently interacting with philosophers. Uh, you know, Acts 17 is a fa- famous example. Colossians 1, the Colossians hymn, uh, is mirrors a hymn to Zeus that he's using. So he's using a kind of a philosophy, poetry of the day. So he's, he's thinking well in order to engage the objections of other people. So I think there's wisdom... Sometimes it's time to walk away, and sometimes it's time to go back to school, so to speak, and think through well. But in your going back to school and in your walking away, don't put your faith in yourself. Don't put your faith in that you're more spiritually enlightened. Don't put your faith in your, your new apologetics degree. Uh, you still, we still got to put our faith in, in, in Jesus and in the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to open the heart to the things spoken by Paul. So um, I, I think we, you know, we... There's wisdom kind of in both both responses, and it's you know we want to we want to answer the person in front of us, um, and I'll talk about kind of an, uh, an engagement with an atheist in the second section. This is a great segue as we think about how do we actually share a believable gospel. So let's let's transition to that now. We thought about uh, really evangelistic concerns, and now we're going to think about um, evangelistic metaphors or gospel metaphors that we can share. Um, Three points here, really. One is an approach. Two are the metaphors. And and three is, uh, this is not like preachers, uh, other stuff, all right? Uh, They don't tell you to do that in preaching class. But, all right, so um, an approach, gospel metaphors, and other stuff. Um, Let's pray. Lord, thank you that people are are really wrestling with these things. And um, thank you that you are with us as we wrestle. We we thank you that your word is, uh, it is rational, it's comprehensible. But Lord, we're desperate for you to, to believe it. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us belief in the word of God. We pray for those people that have come to mind, even as we've wrestled through these things, that you would be... Holy Spirit, softening their minds and their hearts to respond to the gospel from people in this room. And we pray now that you would help us as we think together about how to share a more believable gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So we we talked about Francis Schaeffer earlier. You know, Francis Schaeffer was asked, um, if you had an hour with a non-Christian, how would you spend it? He says, that's easy. I would listen for 55 minutes, and then in the last five minutes, I would have something to say. And we often reverse it. Uh, we want to preach for 55 minutes and expect you to respond for five minutes. And we have no idea really what's going in the heart of the people that are listening. Now, you, you, I'm sure you've got preachers that, in terms of Sunday preaching, they are listening. They're in the community, you know, and so when they're preaching, they're preaching to your heart. 
But when, as we think about evangelism, um, often we just want to get Jesus off our chest. You know, it's like we want to clear our conscience. It's that pressure thing. And so we, we don't slow down and ask questions that would show us which Jesus they need. Jesus the righteous that gives you acceptance. Uh, Jesus the advocate if you feel uh, as though you're not, you, you have no representation. Uh, Jesus, uh, the suffering servant who deals with your guilt. I mean, Jesus does a lot of different things. He has different offices. What, what do they need? You know, and, and often we're just kind of doing a doctrinal drive-by. We're going through our booklet. We're squeezing Jesus into a, you know, a conversation. We're feeling better because it's all pressure evangelism. And I think Schaefer was really onto something. It's like, remember, the, they're not a project completed for people to be loved. When do you feel loved? When you're in a conversation, when you're having small talk before this whole thing started, and people ask you questions, yeah. and then they ask you another question, and it's like they forget themselves, and they're so into you, and they're, you know, then they ask, we all love to be asked questions, right? Uh, we enjoy being around people who show interest in us. Well, guess what? That's true of everybody, right? And, uh, and as we climb into people's stories and lives, we can find places that that Jesus, that gospel, would actually be believable. It would be good news to the bad news in their life, Right? And so uh, one way to, to move forward, I think, is, is to listen well in order to share a believable gospel. Well, how do you listen well? I mean, just two ways to think about it. Um, you can listen uh, horizontally. And vertically. You know, we all like those people that... You know, they feel really engaged. They ask follow-up questions. But we're not always those people. And uh, I think we, we as the church need to learn how to listen well, ask questions well, to care for people who are Christians, uh, much less people who are non-Christians that we're trying to get the gospel to. But how would you listen horizontally? It's just getting to know someone. Like, um, you know, the, their story. You, you could use the language of story. Like, who are you? You know, what was it like growing up? Um, you know, what were your parents like? Where'd you go to college? You know, what was your degree? Things that you're interested in, your sports, you know. Um, you you kind of learn someone's story. You know, that, that's important gateway. You know, small talk is important. Um, you don't always have to go for the jugular. And in fact, in the small talk, what happens is sometimes uh, deeper things manifest themselves. Um, so, you know, asking kind of horizontal questions where you're going back into someone's story in the past it's amazing what can come up when you start talking about people's childhood or you talk about formative experiences in college or, you know, uh, who you married or this stuff comes out, you know. Um, so asking questions horizontally. And then as you do that, small talk is a gateway to deeper talk. Um, you, you go down into the heart and you, you start to ask questions like, well, how did that make you feel? Um, you know, what are you, what are you hoping will be in the future? And, and so you're getting into, like, desire... Um, fear, uh, hopes and dreams, you know. Uh, and so as we, as we talk to people, we, yeah, let's learn their story, but then like, as Christians, so well loved by Jesus, uh, man, let's, let's go deeper into the heart and, and learn more about what's really going on in people's lives and get down into the hopes, dreams, fears, desires. Um, so that's just one way to think about listening <clears throat> uh, to others. This first point is, is all about listening. One way that um, I like to think about, and I, I stole it from a counselor, evangelism, is listen to their story, 
uh, empathize with their story, and then retell their story. And we retell their story around Jesus. So listen, uh, vertical, uh, horizontal, uh, deep and wide, but then empathize with the sorrow, the hardship, uh, you know, whatever might be coming out. Uh, and then we want to get to the point where we're retelling their story with Jesus in the center of the story. Now, that's my basic approach to counseling and conversation. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, I think it's just uh, a great way to think about interacting with humans. <laughs> You know, who doesn't want to be heard? Who doesn't want to be empathized with? And who doesn't need to be retold around Jesus every day? I mean, I do. So um, that's, a, that's a, bit, a bit more on kind of listening as we think about listening to others to get to their heart. Now, as we think about this part, and I know that's what we're really going to focus on in this session, retelling the story around Jesus. It's interesting to me that in the Gospels, you never find Jesus tell the Gospel the same way twice. Have you ever noticed that? He's always interacting with people differently. That's quite profound because we're told to take people through a 10-week Bible study, to memorize a script, to get the whole gospel out, which includes only his you know, death and his resurrection. No ascension, no what he's doing right now. Doesn't, you know, uh, we have these kind of programmed ways of thinking about uh, how we retell the story around Jesus. And yet Jesus himself, as he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking, interacting with different people, He's not saying the same thing over and over. He's actually quite adept and sensitive. It's as if he's listening to people's stories, uh, empathizing with, and then retelling them around, around the good news. Um, so I think this isn't just a good idea. This is, this is a, a good example that we find in Jesus. Maybe just another uh, text to think about this. Uh, <clears throat> Colossians 4, verses 5 to 6. Say this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And here's the result, here's, or here's the purpose for this. So that you may know how to answer each person. Each person? It's as if we would be actually listening to engage each person. So we're not, we're not just getting Jesus off the chest we're not just memorizing the script. We're not just getting the doctrinal download. We're not just saying it like the pastor said it. You know, we are listening, empathizing, and retelling people's stories, each person's story around Jesus. I mean, there it is. Paul, Jesus, they were great evangelists because, yes, they had the great news, but they were engaging real people. And they were asking questions to climb into their lives. So how do you do that? How do we turn the corner um, to actually sharing the gospel? Um, One way to think about it, and there's a lot of great ways to think about it, but are to use gospel metaphors. Gospel metaphors. I'm going to use uh, metaphors from Paul. Justification. Whatever, I misspelled it. I promise I can spell it. Justification. Let me just get these up here. Or do we have them up here? Yeah. Okay, good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pair with those. Is that right on the dry erase board here? Okay, so these are, um, you find these in Paul's letters in the New Testament, right? New creation, justification, adoption, redemption, union with Christ. They're metaphors that convey different aspects of the gospel meaning. Um, as we think about how do we share a believable gospel, the question is which gospel would you share with them or which aspect of the gospel could you share with this person? You might want to keep in your mind that person that you were thinking about around the table or a neighbor, friend, coworker, okay? 
Um, <clears throat> new creation. Now, why would that be good news? What, what is it about new creation that might help someone as we learn about their story? Well, new creation is offering hope, right? Uh, we saw Ben was in despair, okay? Uh, he was depressed. Um, he wanted a new life, not an old life. So new creation uh, offers hope. Um, uh, justification. Justification is basically, you know, how can an unrighteous person get right with a righteous God? It's a problem of, of being right with God or being accepted before a holy God. Um, what, would that, what would that tap into? A longing, human longing. Freedom from guilt. Um, I would put that with a redemption. Justification is, and, and, and redemption are connected. Uh, but in justification, you're getting the righteousness that you don't deserve, right? You're getting an acceptance that you can't manufacture on your own from God. And so, um, I, I, you know, I, I would put acceptance with justification. Adoption. Uh, maybe some of you adopted kids. What does that tap into? What human longing, what heart desire might that tap into? Family, okay. Family, and in family we get a sense of approval. Um, and some of these, you know, they're, they're, they're interwoven. It's not like there's a watertight line between each one. That's the beauty of, of the gospel. These metaphors are overlapping because of, because of Jesus. Um, redemption, I think, would deal with guilt. Um, Jesus dies on the cross to redeem us from our guilt, out of slavery, uh, to forgive our sin. Um, people who deal with guilt or guilty conscience or shame, um, getting to this metaphor could be very helpful. Uh, union with Christ. What might that uh, appeal to? What was that? Lonely. Okay, yeah, there's a sense of intimacy uh, in union with Christ. Or love. Sorry? Fear, oh yeah, uh, being loved by Jesus chases out fear, deals with fear. Um, so this just kind of get us started to start thinking about as we listen to their story, we empathize with their story, and we retell their story. Let's retell it around a gospel metaphor um, that corresponds to something that they're longing for. It, you know, hope, acceptance, approval, removal of guilt, intimacy. I mean, we're, we're probably some of us are like, man, I want, I need some right now. It's like, well, good news, you have it right now in Christ, in infinite supply. If you, if you need some of this, it's yours. You don't have to do anything for it. Amen. So I think what would be helpful here as we think about this is just tell a few stories about how um, I've done this and uh, with different people to kind of you know, build, it, build it out for us. So I'm going to think about, uh, we, we talked about new creation and Reed, remember? He was an old man. And wanted to be a new man, and it really appealed to him so much that when he stood up in front of our church, he actually used the gospel metaphor to explain to the congregation what Jesus had done for him. He didn't pick justification, adoption, redemption, because he had this deep longing to be a new person. And so it, it, it resonated with him. Um, <clears throat> let's take uh, justification, the next one. Um, that's dealing with a longing for acceptance, okay? I'm thinking of uh, a guy named Michael. So... Um, Michael's wife was shopping. My wife was shopping. They met in a grocery store somehow. Uh, they started to do a play date. Uh, as they were talking, she said, you know, we're having a really hard time in life, but, you know, we know the universe has an answer. Uh, and so that's kind of where they were coming from, coming from. just kind of, you know, a, a, a spiritual but not religious, you know, kind of 
um, position. And so they, they became friends and got around. And then she said, well, I guess Michael should meet your husband. I guess we'll bring him to, we'll come to your church. So, and I, my wife being a great missionary said, don't do that. She said, um, why don't you just come over for dinner? She didn't, she didn't want him to meet a pastor, she wanted to meet a person, right? So they come over for dinner and I meet Michael and we begin to build a relationship and we start uh, meeting for lunch and, you know, uh, just trying to get involved in his life. He's got employment issues and so trying to, trying to listen and empathize and, um, and then they start coming to church. So he's bringing the whole family, you know, and then one day I, I remember he had, he had like a Bible and he had like this little, one of these books I wrote and he's just like reading gospel literature, reading the Bible, hearing gospel sermons. I'm like, man, and he tells me, you know what, we're praying around the dinner table now. Uh, you know, at night we're praying. I was like, whoa, these guys are, you know, let's have lunch. I can't wait to, I'm thinking, I can't wait to hear how you came to Christ. You know, so we, we meet for lunch and I bring a guy with me and we sit down to talk about, you know, and so I say, hey, Michael, how are things with Jesus? He says, oh, man, uh, there's this guy, he's, a, he's a, my moral superior at work. Like, I'll never be as moral as him. You know, and I'm trying to climb the spiritual ladder, um, but it's just, you know, it's just hard. And, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still not making much money at this, in, this insurance gig. I think I need, you know, so I try to troubleshoot, try to kind of connect him with someone to find a job. And then I just said, Michael, could I come back to uh, something you said earlier? He said, Sure. So you, you said you, you weren't ever going to be moral, moral enough. You know, there's another moral superior at work and that you've been trying to, to climb the spiritual ladder. I said, Michael, I, I got bad news for you. You will never be moral enough for God. He's, he's perfect. Like, he's perfectly holy. Um, but, the, but, but the good news is that Jesus climbed down the spiritual ladder. He died on the cross, rose again from the dead to forgive you of all your moral inferiority and if you just put your faith in him, he'll put you on his back. He'll climb back up the ladder and put you in front of a holy God, fully loved, fully accepted. Now, this was meaningful to him because he felt rejection at work. He felt like he wasn't measuring up, right? He felt like he couldn't be moral enough. He had a longing for acceptance. And I also knew things from his past about his parents and that acceptance was a big deal for him. And so listening, empathizing in a moment at a restaurant I thought he was a Christian, but he wasn't. He had gospel literature. He's going to church, praying. He wasn't a Christian, right? And then explained to him about this undying acceptance that he could have in Christ. And he, he looked at me, had this kind of twinkle in his eye. And he was like, is it that easy? I was like, yeah, it's the gospel. It's, e- it's easy. It's free. You know, like, um, and then, you know, it, it, it became of more interest to him. Um, so, as we listen, as we empathize, listen to the heart. Get down to the hopes, the fears, the dreams, and try to connect those longings to, to a gospel metaphor. And it will, be, it will come alive for people. Now, sometimes it won't come alive. It's rational. You did the homework. You loved them. You didn't treat them like a project. Who's in charge? Not me. Right? Who changes hearts? Not me. Who opens doors? Not me. Right? My acceptance isn't in my evangelism. It isn't how great a metaphor work I did. Let's not get into that. We're just trying to love people, remember? But this is in the Bible, and Jesus does it, and Paul does it. I think it's a good idea. And guess what? You don't have to take a 10-week course. All right? You don't even have to read my book. <laughs> you mean like this is in your book? It might be, some of it. Anyway, I, 
I say that because I, I kind of wrote the book out of just being tired of 10-week Bible studies and memorizing things. And I just like, as I read the Bible, it's like, there's got to be a more intuitive way to do this. That, you know, it's just not so mechanical. And I think, even though I've broken it down in kind of a teachy, didactic way, this is, this is just loving people well with Jesus, you know? And, and I think it, in one sense, it, it, it's, it's a lot easier <laughs> than, you know, doing the 10-week course or, you know, of course, here I am teaching. But, you know, you get the idea. So, um, anyway, let's move to a gospel metaphor. Enough about that. Um, let's think about... Uh, let's think about redemption. And redemption deals with uh, guilt and shame. It also, I think, gets at the, at the heart of the exclusivity of Jesus. Like, only Jesus can redeem, right? I got that backed up. That's the best amen I've ever gotten. Should we do an altar call? And, and I want to get to this, uh, the exclusivity of Jesus and the redemption, particularly with the atheist and the concern of like, you know, other religions. So um, this is a concern, and um, Jesus is exclusive, right? Uh, no one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, um, I am the way. There's, a, there's an article there. It's not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. Um, no one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus is exclusive. Uh, he insists uh, that he is the only way to God. And listen, Buddha didn't die. You know, uh, the, the Vedas, the, the scriptures, the, uh, Vishnu doesn't die. Um, Allah doesn't die. Like, Jesus dies for you, right? Jesus dies and rises from the dead and conquers sins, death, and evil in order for us to be reconciled to God and enjoy his grace and love. So it's, it's exclusive because it's unique, <laughs> right? He's the only one. So we, we need to stick to that, the exclusivity of Jesus. Um, and uh, that can be helpful when we're talking to people who are pluralistic, who have you know, concerns about other religions and those kind of things. Sometimes that's the atheist you know, concern. So um, there was a couple in our church. One uh, was very interested in Christianity. The other was an atheist, uh, Ashley and John. And a- Ashley started coming because she knew some people in a city group that got their hair cut, you know, how these things work. Um, started coming on Sunday, and uh, she was very, very hungry spiritually. Uh, John was not. John played indoor soccer on Sundays, but he hurt his foot, so he had to come, right? He's getting dragged there by his fiance. And um, then one Sunday they came up to me and they asked if I would uh, do their wedding. Um, <clears throat> and I said, I'm really honored. Can we get lunch and talk about that, right? Um, knowing that Ashley is really close to putting her faith in Christ and knowing that John is not, right? So we meet for lunch and uh, we sit down and talk about things. And I said, hey guys, I know you want to you talk about wedding and marriage and I want to get to that, but can we, can we talk about your spiritual views first? Because when you get married, um, if your views are different, that's going to be very challenging as you think about how you relate, how you see the world, and how you raise your children. And so can we, um, can we talk about that? Ashley's like a little puppy. She's like, absolutely. She's so excited. You know, and John's like, okay. You know, <laughs> uh, I guess we can do that. So um, 
you guys have been around. You, you, you've, you've heard me on Sundays. You know, you, you know kind of where I stand um, with Jesus and kind of just went over the, the gospel a little bit with them. And, uh, of course, Ashley was asking questions and really excited. And that's so why I just turned to John. I said, John, what do, you, what do you think about this? What do you think about it? He said, well, I just want to keep my options open. Um, so, w- w- what options? He's like, yeah, you know, I just want to, you know, there are other religions, you know, I, I need to try, I guess I need to try those, or, you know, it's okay. Um, so, you, when you think about Jesus, you're saying you're not ready to, to put your faith in Jesus because you, you, you're concerned about the other options of religion. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. And I said, well, um, you, guys, you guys are in love, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, they want me to do the wedding. And I said, now, John, are there any other girls in the picture? And he's just like, no, like this, no, I want to get married. So you're telling me there's not any other women. Like, you are sure this is the one? He's like, absolutely. And I said, John, if you're that passionate about narrowing it down to one for marriage, I suggest you narrowing it down to one with God is even more important. Right? He was excited to get married. He was struggling with pluralism. And we kind of thought about love and the exclusivity that he had for his fiance, Ashley. And as we did, he, he just looked at me and he had this kind of like busted look in his eyes. He's like, I've never thought about it like that. He's like, I'm going to actually think about it. He went on, thought about it. And then uh, I was gone one Sunday and uh, somebody, you know, preached the gospel and they came down for communion, tears flowing down their eyes as they put their faith in Jesus together and they were married by somebody in our church. It was beautiful. Uh, but, but, but I think part of the part, it's the, whole, the Holy Spirit gets all the credit, but listening to the actual objections, listening to the longings of the heart and a connect, connecting them to a gospel metaphor, in this case, the exclusivity of Christ through his death and resurrection. Um, so listen to their story, empathize with their story, and then retell their story um, around Jesus or uh, a gospel metaphor. Um, let's see if we've got time for another one. Um, how about adoption? Uh, adoption offers approval, right, and love. Um, makes me think of Scott. Scott was a from New England, he was uh, kind of a blue blood, yeah, kind of just um, well-educated, ran the TV station, one of the TV stations in Austin, um, very intelligent, uh, loved music, was kind of in and out of all the shows and in the green rooms and the VIP section, you know, just kind of a, and uh, got to know him. He would come occasionally on Sundays because he had a friend. Actually, it was, it was Reed. Reed was his friend. Um, and so he would come and we would like debate Islam versus Christianity over, I mean, he was just like, he wasn't, he wasn't in, but he liked us, you know, and he liked Reed, so he was willing to, willing to come. And, um, one day I got a call that, you know, uh, he had cancer and was going to have to have, uh, surgery. And so went and visited him and it was throat cancer, so he had this massive, like Frankenstein-like scar across his neck. And then, um, it had gotten up into his nose and so they actually had to cut his entire nose off. And uh, so he's laying there in the bed, you know, and it's just, he, you know, just kind of... So I, I, I talked to him and just, you know, tried to listen, empathize, encourage, you know. Um, he, he starts to recover some, gets out of the hospital. 
And then I don't remember how many months later, but I get a call. He's in hospice and he's going downhill fast, right? So I go visit him in the hospice. I walk in the room. It's like sterile, frigid cold. Walk up to the bed. He is a bag of bones. I mean, he is just laboring to get a breath. I mean, just, you know. His prosthetic nose is like on the, I mean, there's just no dignity. You just see right into the cavity of his head. And um, I walk up to him and I'm just like, man, what do I say to this guy? You know, I love him, but he is not a Christian, you know. And um, I thought to myself, man, if I was on my deathbed, what's a question that I would want someone to ask me? You know, it's like, tell me about some of the great times in your life. You know, like. He's knocking on death's door like, what, what are some of the best moments of your life, Scott? And so we started talking about some of the things he did. He was one of those kind of people who could get into anything. Like, he told me this story of how he got into the green room of the Today Show. Like, he wasn't even supposed to be at the Today Show. He's in the green room hanging out with this actor and that actor and everything. Like, you know, uh, he told me how he got on a private tour of the USS Constitution in Boston. He got a little boat with two senators and their, like, entourage, and it was him. And, was, you know, he's just... He, he, in all the shows, he's hanging out in the VIP, hanging out with all the stars and, you know, all the musicians. And we just had laughed about it and just you thought how fun it was. And I just said, man, Scott, how did you pull this off? Like, there's no way I could do that. You know, he's, how did you get into all these places, you know? Oh, he says, that's easy. It's my life philosophy. Act like you belong. You act like you belong, they'll let you in, you know? And I thought to myself, that's, that's what he's longing for. He's been longing to belong his whole life. And I knew more of his story. And I said, man, that, that's, that's pretty funny, Scott. But you know what? That doesn't work with a holy God. When you die, you can't act like you belong because you don't. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus. He died so you could belong. He died so you could experience his undying approval and love. Isn't that what you've been longing for? And he just, he, at this point, he was kind of, he'd been talking so much, he couldn't, he couldn't say a lot. And he just looked at me, and kind of his eyes fluttered, and he just kind of, you know, nodded his head. And I, I talked with him more and prayed with him. And I think, he, I think he put his faith in Jesus that day. I don't, I'm not sure, but he was never one to agree when he disagreed. He was never one to nod his head just to go along. Listen to their story empathize with their story and retell their story around Jesus and what they're longing for. Scott was longing for approval to belong. So hopefully some of these stories are helping kind of uh, you know, concretize this idea of how do we listen, empathize, retell? How do we uh, get down into the heart, vertical, you know, get down in there and apply the gospel um, to the hearts of people who are, are longing we can maybe talk about a few more of the metaphors in the Q&A time, but let me just get to this third stuff point, okay? So we've, we've talked about how to listen. We've considered some gospel metaphors, and now this, this other stuff. Um, what I want to say first is that all the gospel metaphors are essential. Like, none of them are optional. It's all the completed work of Christ, right? But sometimes... One of the gospel metaphors is on the surface of a person's story or just below if you ask some questions. So um, everybody needs all of them all the time, right? And in different parts and seasons of our lives, we turn to Jesus for different parts, different things that are represented by his work that he's done for us, right? And the same thing is true for people out there. They just don't know where to get the thing they're longing for. 
So all of them are essential, and we need all of them all the time, but sometimes one of them is more presenting, right? How are you going to know that? Listen to their story, empathize with their story. Um, so I, I just wanted to, to clarify that. Uh, often, um, conversion is not the result of someone sharing just a great gospel metaphor, you know, just nailing it, you know. Often conversion is the result of many conversations with many different people. It's not all on one person to kind of just listen perfectly and then just nail it, you know. Um, there, there is a, you think about it, it's one thing to hear a lone voice in the wind, but to hear a chorus of voices singing the same gospel music over people. That is more compelling. That is more powerful. And if I had time, we could go through all these stories and I could tell you about their, their we call it a city group, their missional community, city group, and people, how they're involved, how they were served, how people brought them food, how people visited them in the hospital, how other people had gospel conversations, you know. Uh, so it, it's a community effort, right? It's a chorus of voices, not one lone voice, but all the voices matter. And in fact, there's great joy in getting to voice the gospel and to love a person in a deep way, right? And there's real meaningful relationship that can emerge from that. And so I wept, you know, as these, this guy died. You know, I loved him because I had gotten to know him and, and, and share life with him. And so we need all of them all the time, but sometimes there's one that's presented, but it's not all on you to, you know, to, to get it. That we're, we're a communal, it's a communal witness. Um, and that's the beauty of the church. Um, those two points. The third point, and we've, we've talked about it some, um, is that the power of conversion is not on your shoulders, but on Christ's. And, and, and it is applied through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit is the one that opened uh, the heart of Lydia to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Um, and, and we see that the Holy Spirit is called the helper. And that in John 16, that he guides us into the truth. He doesn't get you just to agree with the truth. He doesn't get you on top of the truth. He doesn't get you to nod your head to the truth. He gets you into the truth. He is the helper who guides us into the truth. And it's true of non-Christians. He guides them into the truth. You can give them the truth. You can listen and love them well. But it's not on you to get them into the truth. Right? That's the Holy Spirit's job. He gets people into the truth. So pressure's off. This privilege is on. We have a helper who guides people into the truth. Maybe just final comments. Kind of this is influenced by Leslie Newbegin, a, a missiologist. But um, there is just one gospel story, and it is exclusive and it is marvelous. There is one gospel story. No one else can tell this story. There's no B team on the bench, guys, waiting to come in. You alone can tell the story. The church has the story. There's not another organization, there's not another nonprofit that has the story. You have the gospel story. You're the A team. God's given you the gospel story. It's an incredible privilege, right? We have the story that they need to hear. But. It's the Spirit who testifies to the truth of the story. So we have the story, we share it, but we don't convert, we don't save. We, this, and as we share it, it's powerful. It, the Spirit testifies to it. So we, that's all on the Holy Spirit. He testifies to the truthfulness of the gospel. 
It's all on the Holy Spirit. So we've got the story, but He has the power to change the lives of the story. So only the Spirit can convince, regenerate, save, apply love and approval and grace and new creation and bring us into union with Christ. And He chooses to bear witness, to testify, to flex when we share the Gospel. So we don't need to go walk away today kind of feeling guilt-ridden. I hope you feel freshly stirred up. All the gospel metaphors, yes. All embarrassment of riches. Look at everything we've got. And there are people out there just dying for it, literally dying for it. That's not on us to save them, but my goodness, there's nobody else with the story. We've got the story. Let's tell the story. Let's listen to their story. Let's empathize with their story and then retell their story around the greatest story ever, the story of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for this magnificent story. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being so complex and yet so accessible. You offer us approval. You offer us new life, forgiveness from guilt, and you release us from shame. You forgive the past, the present, and you will forgive the future. You are a remarkable Savior. There is nobody like you. Our friends and family and coworkers can't find anything like you. And so we pray, defeat the defeater that sometimes pops up. Help us to evangelize with wisdom and discernment. And let us enjoy the safety, the security, the love, the embarrassment of riches, Lord, that we would talk about what we're taken with. I pray for this church, Lord, a thousand gospel conversations this year. Lord, would you make a hundred of them alive in the hearts of men and women and children? Would you cause people to respond by faith to the things spoken by fellowship? Holy Spirit, would you open the door? Would you grant intimacy and joy in Jesus? all over this city. We pray it for Jesus' name. Amen. 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 John, do you have time for some Q&A? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to roll into that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, hey, guys, we're just going to open up some Q&A with John. Before we, uh, bring this just answered everything. If nobody wants to go first, I will. Uh, so I, I was going to ask... Uh, I love that, I and mean, that's, we use the language of um, asking specific questions, listening for the heart, and speaking the truth in love. Mm. So like connecting the longings, the fears, the desires, the hopes, dreams of the heart, connecting those to Jesus uh, through these gospel metaphors is so beautiful. Likely you say it even better. But do you have specific, uh, when you're trying to listen to people's stories, specific questions you ask about their stories, or are you just kind of being an intuitive human Saying, tell me about your life, and then you're off to the races playing jazz, or do you have like you know, yeah. specific questions you're asking? I, I don't have canned questions. I just work with the kind of the horizontal, vertical paradigm. I just want to listen to their life and then start look for like there's little shoots that go down into the heart, right. and you can tell emotion on the face, or you can you know uh, just asking layered questions. You know, so somebody says something, tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, it's a very simple or. Um, how, did, how did you get in that situation? Right. How did that make you feel? Um, is that still an issue? 
Um, how, how, do you hope, how do you hope your job will be different in the future? Uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, so it's, it's more of an intuitive just working with that kind of, that paradigm, you know. saying we can all do that. Like, you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to have, like, ten prepared questions. <laughs> no. Just be a, be a good human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be yourself and ask good questions. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Jonathan, the religious uh, context that we're in, 95 to probably 98% of the people are Christians. Mm-hmm. So do you have any advice for those of us who are around people who would just answer and prepare it, maybe the right responses? But yeah. Clearly their life is a bear fruit, the fact that the Spirit is in them. Yeah, with... With, with religious, uh, with more religious culture, we've got the vocabulary. You know, we might even consider ourselves a Christian, but we actually don't don't know Christ. Um, and and this is where you, again we want to listen, empathize. We're not just trying to get them to agree with the right information. We want them to know the the right person to know Him. So one way to do that is to, and this appears appeals to secular people who aren't religious too, but is to share the gospel with yourself out loud. To share the gospel with yourself out loud. So other people need to see the difference that Jesus is actually making in your life. And it will draw them to Jesus. And then they will also go, oh, I don't know Jesus like that. I don't experience that joy, right? Um, so, for example, I uh, was uh, meeting with a guy who was an artist, a, a musician in Austin. We were meeting in a bar, just having apologetic conversations. He was asking all these wild questions. And we came inside from the beer garden inside and uh, had answered a bunch of questions about Jesus and India and all this stuff. And he just looked at me and he said, man, Jonathan, do you ever doubt? And I said, well, at this point in my life, I don't doubt as much as I have unbelief. And he was like, what's the difference? You know? And I was like, well... Um, earlier today, I was on Twitter, and I put out this really insightful statement, you know, just full of wisdom. And I checked back, you know, a few minutes later, and nobody had, had commented on it, you know. So I just thought to myself, well, you know, people are a little bit busy today, you know. <laughs> so, you know, a couple hours later, I went back out to, you know, and there was no heart. There was no star. And I just thought, you know, it just must be an exceptionally busy day for people to not have... You know, maybe they're just still trying to process the greatness of the wisdom, so let's give them some more time. Uh, then, end of the day, I go back out, and it's like, nothing. Not even a retweet. I mean, all you had to do. Uh, you know, not even a retweet. And I told him, in that moment, my heart sank. I believe that the approval of the anonymous Twittersphere was greater than the approval that God the Father gives me in Christ. And in that moment, I had unbelief in the gospel. And that moment was pivotal for him. The lights came on, you saw the twinkle, and shortly after that he came to Christ and started helping lead worship. Um, lead the go- you know, share the gospel with yourself out loud. Show people what Jesus does for you. Which, how, which metaphor do you need? <laughs> uh, how do you need acceptance and how do you get it from Jesus? You know, it's authentic. It, you can't really debate it. Like, oh, that didn't happen to you. You're not, no one's going to say that, Right? It's respect the self is the name of the name of the age. You know, you be you. So you're not going to get that. It's but it's authentic. It's true, and it shows religious people the real street difference on knowing the person and work of Christ. Right. So that's that. That would be one way to to kind of break through that wall. You know. Yeah. Oh.
the guy that was um, bloated and, and difficult hair or whatever, mm -hmm. you said you kind of spoke to him and you started that relationship, and then three years later, yeah. he came to Christ. Um, like, is that was that just something you gradually just continued to speak to him, or was there like, a, like an absence there, or? Was it literally just three, four years of you just working and not giving up? Uh, if we don't have... Yeah. Oh, there we go. Life changing. Yeah. In my experience, conversions are a long process. You know, and, and a lot of statistics back it up. You know, it, it's, not, uh, it's not a punctiliar on the spot like it used to be. Because even in the religious areas, the, the vocabulary has inoculated people to the real realities. And in secular areas, people don't have the religious vocabulary, so they're not able to put it on. So it, it takes like a detox in religious environments, and it takes like re-educating re in secular environments um, or introducing. So... Uh, God is working through all of that. And then there's all these people that he was hanging out with. He was baking cupcakes for his city group and just, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. You know, it's just there's so many influence God uses. I mean, it's just, it would, it would be amazing to look from the mind of God and how all this happened in people's lives, the complexity of it, you know. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, this comes to mind from, I think Tim Keller said this, but it's not friendship evangelism, it's just being a good friend. So it's not, I'm not going to be your friend until you say, you know, yes to Jesus, because then we'll wear out. Like, you know, because it's like three years, I don't know. But if you're just being a good friend, and you're, you're you know, so I think uh, he experienced that, you know, in all of his mess, and he had relapses and all kinds of stuff, but the church kept loving him, and... Um, we came to delight in him, you know, and then he came to delight in Jesus. <laughs> so, other questions? Yes. Um, so, when you're talking with people about the gospel, obviously you want them to ask questions because we're asking them to change their whole worldview, basically. Mm hmm. Yeah. So if you get a question that you, for instance, you know, why does God allow suffering like that, that you feel like you can't answer, I think being authentic is, is the best thing. You know, don't try to make something up or cough up something you heard from a podcast 10 years ago. You know, um, you know what? That's a question I've really wrestled with. Um, can we talk more about that? Or, you know, could I send you an article and we could read it together? You know? Um, so I, I think be, being, if you're, if you're not prepared to answer the question, then be yourself and say, I know that there are answers to this question. I just haven't, personally, I haven't, I haven't wrestled with it enough, you know, and I really appreciate your thoughtfulness, you know, um, that's actually really challenging me to see what I believe and if it stands up to that question, you know, um, another like short response is, um, look at the cross. Um, if you don't think that, that our, our God is concerned with our suffering, look at, look, he's a suffering God. Like he, he, he didn't stay in heaven. He embraced the suffering himself. He entered into the suffering of the world. Um, and he absorbed it and all of the sin that causes suffering. And um, 
and then conquered it with resurrection life. You know, uh, the, the cross. Look at, consider the suffering God, you know. But, I mean, often behind that question is suffering. So what I want to know is, why is that an important question to you? What, what, um, have, you, have you suffered? What have been some of the difficult things that you've dealt with in life that have brought you to, to wrestle with that question? And it's in that that you actually have an opportunity to do some of this. And then the, the existential uh, gravity of Jesus, you know, uh, becomes alive to them because it's, it's, it's not just a proposition you're debating. He's a person you're encountering in your suffering, in your past, you know. So... Then there are longer books you can read and things like that. But yeah, yes. And we'll work our way back. We're kind of right in the row. One, two, three. Me? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, kind of on-the-spot evangelism. Uh, How do you do that? Um, I I, I want people... There are times when it's just kind of like on the spot, you know. So I think I I was at a conference in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, I got in the the, uh, elevator to go up. We had like four floors, and uh, I had a lanyard, you know, and there was a lady in there, and she's like, what's that? And I thought to myself, I can tell her I'm just at a conference or I can tell her about Jesus. And so I just said, oh, we're at a conference and we're here because we, we love Jesus and we know that he loves us, what he's done for us. You know, and it was like, bing, you know. <laughs> like, um, but I, I felt like the Holy Spirit in that moment prompted me to, to not go the conference route, but to, to, to just squeeze in as much as I could, you know. Um, I don't know that we need to be doing that all the time. Um, it can come off as trite, you know, or um, I, I think in all of this stuff, the Holy Spirit. He's prompting us. He's guiding us. And he's the power. And, um, you know, so for instance, uh, when I fly, when I used to fly, I thought, I have a captive audience. I am bound by oath and by God to share the gospel with this person. And if I don't, lightning will strike me, you know. Um, now I just live in freedom. And if I feel like the Holy Spirit's prompting, if I'm super tired, I've been sick. I got on the plane to come here. I put those headphones on to the glory of God and hit the, you know, noise canceling and I went to sleep you know pressure's off you know um, but sometimes the spirit's like man that, you need to share it with that person and so I get in their life and then you know look for opportunities and you know oh you're you know whatever so uh, I don't know if there's a, a single answer to your question I, I think it should be spirit led um, I think you know if it's uh, someone like at a restaurant we, we want to represent the whole gospel. God cares about creation, so tipping well, not just... My wife was a waitress, and she was... No, the Sundays were the worst. The church crowd came in. They asked for all free refills and stuff to go, and they didn't leave anything but a tract on the table. That is not a good witness. You know, so I'm not saying... I'm not putting that on you, but that impression is out there regardless, right? And so I want to tip well. I want to love well. I want to encourage... You know, those people I'm seeing regularly, you know, at the coffee shop, I talk to them about their life and all that stuff, and then occasionally something will come up and I'll be able to talk about Christ a little bit, you know. Um, and people have come to, to Christ through that process uh, out of coffee shops, but it's, it's little interactions and then we kind of meet, hey, you know, you want to get coffee sometime? 
you know, you, you want to have lunch sometime? And then we get into things, you know. Um, I think of a guy that, uh, he was a barista. We kind of had small talk. We went to lunch. And he told me how much he hated the church. And uh, he, he's, he's, and it was just like, he'd been done wrong, you know. People talk about being burned by the church, you know. He, and I just tried to empathize as much as I could. And then he looked at me and he said, Are you, is your church going to disappoint me? I thought to myself, I was like, Holy Spirit, help me. And I said, you know what? It is. But we'll do our best to point you to a Savior who will never disappoint you. That was about as far as we got with the gospel in that conversation, you know. Um, so, you know, there, I think a lot of it is being led by the Holy Spirit and just listening well and looking for opportunities, you know, to, to make it believable, to make it intersect with their, their lives. So, uh, behind you, yes. I haven't, I haven't uh, thought about that question. Um, my greatest evangelistic regret. I guess any time that I've been prompted by the Holy Spirit and chosen not to obey Him, um, I've grieved the Holy Spirit and missed out on opportunity that God had for that person to show them the love and grace in God. So I guess my greatest evangelistic regret would be any time that I disobey the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit and quench Him and miss out on the joy of that. Um, but it, I don't have a regret that someone's not going to enter the kingdom of God because that's, that's all his work. I just get invited into it. So I don't have to bear that, that depth of regret. Um, and I've, I've counseled people who actually carry that kind of regret, and, it, and I've found that it's, they believe that it was all on them. And they were disbelieving the gospel. And as we got into it, we realized there's a lot of compassion that's really beautiful here, but you actually took the place of Jesus in this relationship, thinking that you could save this person. Um, and this is a bit of a tangent, but it ended up being a, a real powerful counseling moment for her where she was really liberated by God's grace and became more free in her conversations with, with people about Jesus. I, I think uh, I'll let you answer that one. <laughs> hey, John, that'd be interesting. You, talk, you, you mentioned the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Yes. How uh, have you become also aware of the prompting? What does that felt like? Maybe for those who are wondering, is it just a voice in my head? Is it me? Is it the Spirit? Yeah. If you're all experiencing mission, what does the prompting feel like? Um, well, we'll talk more about this on Sunday. I think... Part of being um, aware of the prompting of the Spirit is to know the person of the Spirit. And in a lot of Christianity, we put mysticism before the person. We put gifts before the person. And so it's just like, um, let's say, a best friend or a spouse. Like, the more you get to know them, the the more you can can, finish their sentences or anticipate their needs, you know, in an intimate relationship. The more intimate you are with the Holy Spirit and the more you know Him as a person, who He is, what He does. Um, we talk a lot about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, the Holy Spirit is equally a person. Why, why are we talking about having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Let's think about Him as a person, His character, what He does, who He is for us. Go on an you know, adventure in the Bible. And that, that's what happened to me in my mid-20s. I just, 
I, I became so convicted. I'd neglected the Holy Spirit my entire Christian life, and I, uh, I confessed it as sin and repented and, and said, please take, help me know the Spirit. And so I just started reading the Bible, looking to see who's the Holy Spirit and getting to know who He was. So I think person before prompting. Um, getting to know the person, and the more you get to know the person, the more you can kind of sort out his, his promptings. You know the timber of his voice, so to speak. You know, um, it's subjective. Um, and in Scripture, there's even sentences that, you know, it seemed as though the Holy Spirit was saying this. The Council of Elders in uh, Acts 15. It seemed good to the Spirit. It seemed, you know, um, they weren't 100% sure. It's a bit subjective. That's okay. I'd rather fail and try. <laughs> I'd rather uh, try to listen to what the third person of the Trinity is saying than just kind of lock him up. Just kind of, you know, you stay down there. Um, so I'd rather fail. And uh, I mean, as you look at the scriptures, the Spirit often is prompting us to do things for other people. Share the gospel, serve them, do the dishes, you know, encourage a person, um, pray for them on the spot. I mean, you can't go wrong with any of that. <laughs> I might as well do it, whether it's the Spirit or whatever. I don't know who's saying that. I mean, can't go wrong, you know. Just bring on the prayer. Bring on the encouragement, you know. So, um, yeah, so, the, the, you know, person uh, promptings and then just a sense, you know, it's just an impression. It's, you know, I mean, I used to... Sometimes if you like go to this coffee shop, some other days like go wherever you want, it doesn't really matter. You know, um, you know, you should talk to that person or you should, you know, that person, you need to catch them before they leave. You know, uh, you need to pray with that person on the spot or you just need to listen. You don't need to pray every time on the spot. You just need to listen and empathize, you know, uh, give them, you know, so it's just kind of in the moment being engaged with the Holy Spirit and just kind of just trying to respond, you know. So. Was there one more back there that we didn't get to? Yes. You on the back row. He had already like, said what I was going to ask, but okay. you know, the first two approaches are very kind of, they're, they're works-based. They mm. really what we do, like mm-hmm. what we perform. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it comes from a place like, I know this, and I know this, and I said this. Mm. Those are great points. You know, I think the you know, aggressive and passive, they have their own kind of works mentality. I'm going to have great character. I'm going to dem- demonstrate or I'm going to, you know, preach and I'm going to go door to door. It's all about you. Yeah. And if it's not about you, who's it about? It's about God. So that, you know, um, God is opposed to the proud, uh, Peter says, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, you know, and he, he loves to pour, grace flows down, not up. So the grace Grace of God in us and through us to others. Uh, yeah. 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 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. And, and maybe that's uh, a takeaway for some of us today, you know, to kind of repent of, I could be good enough, I could have said it better, you know, I could do more in my life, and kind of get out of the way, you know, and get just get under that, that waterfall of God's grace and see, let Him do, do the work. So I, I agree with you. It's a great, great point. Yes? Hmm. And tying that into kind of what you just talked. And so just kind of looking for an encouragement to <coughs> feel that pressure when you say, oh, we've got to have a thousand yeah. conversations this year. Uh, to just maybe just encourage, just encourage me and saying, because of my understanding of it, this has always been my approach, is I'm more of a relational evangelist and that I, I know I want to spend some time and I like to kind of unpack how that, what that looks like. Uh, maybe just an encouragement in and meshing that. That way we don't we don't follow one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. It takes time. You know what I'm saying? Like in building relationships and having that door, looking for that shoot or what you know, or whatever. We're at, or just just free us maybe with encouragement that we, you know, that's going to happen in, in its time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the pastors want to respond to that or gets his head nodding. <laughs> the main goal is just try to get people talking about Jesus, or at least thinking that direction. If it's you know, kind of like you said, you you praise what you prize, or you talk about what you love, and just our prayer is that we would fall more deeply in love with Him and get be on the tip of our tongues, and even looking for the shoots. You know, I mean, are we even like are we aware of that? Mm. Are we are we listening with gospel ears? I'm not sure what you'd add more to that or. Yeah, I would just say the whole idea of it is a gospel conversation does not mean a gospel presentation of like evangelism explosion. Sure. If you're going from creation, fall, redemption, restoration, you got it through, bam, checked off the list. But we were talking about, in our group, we don't talk about Jesus and just the ordinary stuff of life. We're not spending time with Jesus and the ordinary stuff of life, but we truly are talking about what has taken us. How can we not have a conversation about Jesus pretty regularly? Because yeah. it's just flowing from us. Yeah. That's really the heart behind that is, is honestly, I think, and, and this is not to give a word of guilt or shame, I'm saying this to me, I think that if I truly was being captivated by Jesus as much as I would like to be, I would probably be having gospel conversations every day and not even being aware of it just because I can't help but talk about Christ. So I think that's the heart behind it and then just being reminded at the end of like, if you don't have a conversation about the gospel, you're not any more loved or less loved by God than if you do. Right? And so it's Yeah, and, and, and begging the Holy Spirit for that affection for Jesus, uh, that we don't manufacture it. Um, and the, all the great revivals, evangelistic revivals in our country have been preceded by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, so what would it look like for me to know the Holy Spirit, ask for His filling, to enjoy His presence and power, um, and give me that, that, that affection for Jesus? So. All right, yes. I'll go one and then two. Spiritual 
conversation to like here is an invitation to know Christ without it being like a sale. You know what I mean? Because there's just this delicate balance of you know it takes time, but the gospel's urgent. It's not a product to sell, but we have to make this invitation. Like mm -hmm. we're going to invite people mm -hmm. to know at some point. So I just I'm having trouble like. Yeah. Well, you definitely see that with Jesus in, in the Gospel of Mark. Repent and be baptized, you know, for the forgiveness of sins. You, there is a call for re response. Um, you see it in the letters to Revelation. Uh, many of the letters to the seven churches, there's a call to repent, to respond to the Gospel. The, the, the confrontation and then uh, the aspect of Christ that's present in that letter. So, um, yeah, I, I, there has to be a response. Um, but that invitation to respond doesn't have to look like, you know, so do you want to pray right now? Yeah. It might. It might, be, it might be that, but it might be. What would it look like for you to turn away from finding acceptance from your boss and to turn to Jesus? You know, keep, keeping in step with whatever's happening in that conversation and with whatever's happening in their heart. What would it look like you to give up on um, uh, finding approval from your mom and to find approval you can state it as a question but it's it's a, it's an invitation to repent but you don't have to say okay now now's the time to respond you know are you going to repent you're going to pray you know i think it can be uh it can be more dynamic and engaged with people you know um what would it look like for you to turn to jesus what would it look like for you to give that up um have, have you considered confessing that to god have you included God in what we're talking about? Sometimes that language is helpful for people because they just talk to people and they never talk to God. And they talk to people about God, but they don't talk to God about God. Have you included God in that? Have you thought about talking to Him about those fears that, that you know, maybe you've got the word idol, idols in the, in the conversation? Um, but including them including God in their thoughts is a prayer, right? So it's, um, it doesn't have to be real formal, it, it might be, and some, sometimes it's like, man, they are so struck right there on the spot. Would you like to pray right now and, and turn to Christ and to ask Him for forgiveness of your sins and to, to know Jesus as your Savior and, and Lord? Yeah, let's do it. You know, uh, often it's 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 letting go of these things that are visibly a problem, idols, you know, and uh, exchanging them for Jesus. You know, so uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, in the moments things happen, man. You yeah. Know, I look, man. I said that wrong. Yeah. And, uh, but I think the perfection mindset, the Pharisee type righteousness, that, and that people felt that. They felt mm. judged, condemned by the act we got together. But the reality is, we need Jesus as much as they do. Yeah. Because we don't have to Amen. <laughs> and that's a great example to go back and apologize to them. And you can even connect that. Listen, you know. I blew it, and, and uh, I got convicted by God, and I, I, you know, I know Jesus forgives me, but I want you to forgive me. I, you know, so, yeah, it's great. Yes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I'm not sell, but mm -hmm. you got to believe in it, or otherwise it comes out not legitimate, and 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 they see through that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Amen. That's awesome. We we'll probably all raise our hand on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chuck. Do you put uh, your church, your city groups, just around the concept of the person of peace? How do you, and if so, how do you do that? What's your take on? Um, no. The, the short answer is no. Okay. We don't do it. But I think it's a valid idea. Okay. Yeah. He wanted to know if we equipped our city groups uh, with the idea of the person of peace, that you find someone in a city that's uh, peaceable. They may not be a Christian, but they're friendly to the gospel. And so they, they can be a kind of a gateway to the city or a gateway to a group of people or a subculture in sharing the gospel. And uh, I think it's it, it, informally it's a pro byproduct of how we train, but it's not. I've never used that as an example. Yeah. But it's, it's good to talk to. Yeah. Yes. Are you saying that, um, could you clarify, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not following, maybe I'm just kind of tired. The gospel that you say, it doesn't stop at salvation, I would agree with you. The gospel continues to be relevant after salvation. That's kind of the point. So all of these metaphors, I need them now. Um, I, I, don't, I don't need to work for the approval of somebody I esteem, you know, who I look up to. I need to enjoy the approval that I have in Christ and to just serve freely. Um, when, I'm, when I look at a conference and there's somebody speaking and I think, oh man, I, I, I could talk to that. I'm starting to fall into pride and I'm looking for uh, approval from like speaking at a conference. It's, it's ludicrous. But in that moment, 
the gospel that saved me needs to save me right now. It needs to save me from the sin of pride and from finding approval from, you know, my peers on the speaking circuit or whatever, you know. And so I need to repent and say, Lord, forgive me for trying to find worth from what people think of me, whether I'm at a conference or not, and let me just enjoy your worth. I mean, you know, so so the gospel that saves us is the gospel that changes us or sanctifies us. So, and if I'm sharing that kind of stuff with non-Christians, they're going to be like, dude, I do that all the time. I just don't have a Jesus to turn to. You know, so, uh, so yes, going deeper in the gospel. The gospel continues to change and address the issues and sins of my heart. And if I'm open with, open about that with other people, it will endear them to Jesus. So, it sounds like there's, that might be more, more context to what you're talking about, but maybe that's a little bit of help. (laughs) Well, well, we all are, and Jesus loves us, so. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe, I don't know if this helps ask your question, but maybe what are the uh, uh, similarities and maybe any differences of having gospel conversations with Christians who maybe not walk, clearly not walk in a step with the Spirit as opposed to an unbeliever? I don't know if that helps. Yeah, that's, that's kind of it. I okay. It is hard. It is hard. And um, we won't do it if we don't enjoy the approval of our father because we fear the rejection of our brother, right? Um, and, and so I, I need to think well before I have that conversation to make sure I'm not being judgmental, but I also need to get my heart enjoying God's approval and trusting how they respond to him because I'm not responsible for their response. But I do have an obligation to, to talk to them about this. But it's the same conversation. Sometimes the conversation with the church is harder <laughs> uh, when someone's in persistent sin and rebellion against the Jesus that they know. Uh, sometimes it's easier with people who don't know Jesus because uh, it's just so, such new news. The opposite is true too. Sometimes they're so entrenched in their own secular thinking or whatever the religious thinking, they don't want to have anything to do with what you're saying. And it gets, it gets tense, it gets hard. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> that, it depends who you're talking to. You know, uh, still going to listen, still going to empathize. It's the same paradigm for me for counseling, for preaching, for evangelism, for discipleship, for everything. That affects every the way, just the way I exist. Because I, I just think it's true to Jesus. So I'm like, I'm soaking it up. I'm doing it imperfectly, but it's yeah, it's, it should affect everything. So I think that was David Pallison that said that the counselor. So. Hey, two or three more questions for Jonathan. There we go. Okay, sure. Uh, what about not just going out and um, praying for strangers, whether it's knocking on doors, and not not for the purpose of necessarily absolutely getting share the gospel, but just legitimate prayer ministry. That might lead to that, but and just bring Jesus to bear. Do you... Oh, that's great. Let's do it. Let's coat this city in prayer. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a church, uh, pastor in town and said that they were, uh, their, their church had, has a bad image in the, in the part of the neighborhood from the past. He's a new pastor. So they made these um, door hangers that said, you know, how can, you pray, how can we pray for you? We will pray for you. And then they put them on the door and then they go back and pick them up. And there's no, 
come on Sunday or anything like that. And uh, I thought it was a great idea. Just, you know, goodwill and God hears the prayers of his people, you know. And, yeah, I think praying for people is great. And it often it often opens the door to talk about deeper things. Cause it's a spiritual touch point, And you think think deeply when someone asks you that question. So it can create an opportunity. Bring on the prayer. Yeah, and I was even just talking about praying, not the door hanger, but just asking people. Yeah. If you don't know, is there anything we can pray about? Just say, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Can I pray? Do you, do you want me to pray for you right now? So, uh, yeah. I mean, I've like done that with a waitress before or something. You know, I don't do it every, I don't do it very often, honestly, but, you know, um, sometimes feel compelled to do that. Yeah. It's great. Yes. Yeah. Children? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good concern. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's tricky when you're Christian parents and your kids aren't Christians and you so desperately want them to know Jesus and all of His grace. Um, we have three, the two oldest have, have turned to Christ and uh, are Christians. Um, the youngest is seven and she's not. And, um, you know, we talk about baptism and a number of years ago she said she wanted to be baptized. And, uh, and I said, okay, well, why do you want to be baptized? And she said, well, I want to see the fishies. Because <laughs> we baptize in the, in the springs in Austin. So, you know, the, I tell that story to identify but also it's important to ask follow-up questions, you know, to the motivation, you know. Um, ex- as, as explicit as, you know, are you doing this because your brother and sister, they're going to dodge that, you know. But, you know, why, why do you want to be baptized? Why is Jesus important to you? Um, I think trying to get into the heart and under, understand the motivations of the child. Um, and uh, I, I think it's also important, like you said, uh, to... Re- to bear the fruits of re- repentance, so if they really have turned, so I'm I'm wondering if my seven year old has turned to Christ or not. She shows a lot of interest in spiritual things. She's past the fishy thing. Um, she memorizes a lot of scripture, and I'm I'm one I'm trying to discern their fruits, and there's some real persistent stubbornness in an area that I think will change when she meets Jesus, um, or will at least soften a little bit. That was true of my son. We told him, Jesus has to be Redeemer and King. And a lot of times a kid wants a Redeemer, a Forgiver, a Cozy Up, but they don't want someone in charge of them. They don't want someone to boss them. And he told me, and he's kind of a brain, but he said, I want Jesus my Redeemer, but I don't want him to be my King. Like, he literally said it like that, you know. And I, and I said, okay, well, let's keep praying. He's the best King around, but, you know, you've got to come to that conclusion yourself. But using both is helpful, in my experience with children, that they understand what both are and that the king actually drives, drives you to the redeemer and the redeemer gives you a great king. Um, so fruits, you know, motivation, redeemer king, you know, maybe some of that's helpful. You know, and I know different churches have different policies on when you baptize children and you just might want to talk to your pastors about that. Or... Yeah, the redeemer king stuff, I think, is super helpful. I mean, if you ask our 10-year-old why she won't be baptized, she's going to give you the right reason. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then there's the 
some fruit we believe we're seeing, but hmm. but then the next day it's like, oh my gosh, we're alive now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Redeemer King stuff is really, I think, very informative for us. Yeah. Good. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you, guys.